truly, darkly, creepily. That's Carrie Ipema. And that's Quinlan Posner. And I always trip you, you up because I switch it up. Every, every time, time. Never every know, fucking you time, never know. And I'm like, I'm care. No, we already said that. Um, I was listening to the Daily had um, a a about Broadway coming back, and I was riding my bike here. It was teary eyed. I got a little emotional. I got emotional. By the way, do you watch Real Housewives of New York right now, or have you? Did you watch it this season? I haven't. Ramona's trash. Um, okay, wait, we actually have so much to cover in terms of out of date updates. Do it up, toots. Okay, one, Julius Jones case. I covered him two podcasts ago. I covered his case. Um, and what happened was, is there was a clemency hearing where the parole board met and was like, should we commute his sentence from a death penalty for a crime that it's looking like he did not commit? Um, should we commute it down to life in prison without the chance of parole? The board, um, the the DA at the time was trying to get two members off the board because they both worked in nonprofits to help incarcerated people. So the the DA was like, they're biased. And it's like, all right, well, well then fucking nobody can participate on any board because everybody's fucking biased. Anyway, the board voted three to one to commute the sentence, which is a really good step in the right direction. However, the governor has to approve it. So now his grant for clemency for um, going from the death penalty to life in prison without the possibility of a parole is on the governor's desk. So we're hoping that he signs it. It still feels really fucking unjust because it doesn't feel like this kid did it. He was 19 years old and Obviously, the family doesn't like this relitigation. Paul's family, the victim. But I think you got to do what's right. And anyway, so we're hoping that the governor signs the clemency and commutes his sentence from death sentence so that the state doesn't kill a man who didn't fucking have a fair, just trial. He didn't even have a fucking defense. Okay, so that's one out-of-date update, and I'm hoping to give you more as soon as they come in. But still, if you didn't listen to that podcast, please go to justiceforjuliusjones.com, sign the petition, do what you can, participate. Robert Durst was just sentenced, and we didn't cover the Robert Durst case, but we assume you all know. And also, I don't feel comfortable covering his case because the jinx did it so well. Oh, we got to do Durst at some point. It's too weird not to. I'll, I'll dibs that okay, right now. dibs that right now. It's so... Unless... Well, here's what's crazy. He was... Convicted of first degree, or he's convicted of murdering Susan Berman in L.A., which is, note to self, spell things correctly. You know, I mean, that that was really fucking damning. That's one. But he was acquitted of the Texas murder. He wasn't convicted of the Galveston, Texas murder. You know, of his, where he admitted. Of his neighbor? Yeah, where he well, admitted. Well, he was found guilty dis- of dismembering the body. But he wasn't found guilty of murdering. Which is wild. That's not, I mean, I'd like that. That is a mind fuck that, you know what, we're going to have to. I guess beyond a reasonable doubt, but like, what reason is there that he just found a body and was like, I know what I'll do. Cut kind it of up. A, we got to ask Larry about that one. I'm pretty baffled by that ruling. We should talk to Larry about Robert Durst. I'd be really interested to hear what Larry says. Um, 
Wow. I'll put that on Patreon. A lot of updates. Join Patreon. Join Patreon. You guys. Why haven't you joined Patreon? What are you waiting for? It's not gonna get cheaper. It's just gonna stay the same price. (laughs) I thought for some reason we were recording the Patreon episode because honestly, dear readers, they're the same length. Let's be very honest. We just, we were like, we'll do like shorter story. It's not. It's not. You know us. We're very loquacious. (laughs) What is that word? Mean? I think it just means talkative, but <laughs> it's um, it's a great word. Thank you. Loquacious. Um, but yeah, I was like, are we recording the Patreon? Why are we telling our Patreon audience to join? Pa- oh, right. We're not. On. We're recording a full app. These are the regulars. Which, speaking of which, can I tell my story? Oh yeah, please dive right in. So I got this information. I was watching. Have you seen the Killer Cases on Hulu? No. Um, it's a new show. They talk about killer cases, and I watch an episode, and I decided to do that story. I'm doing the story of Dr. Teresa Seaver. Um, I got the information from Killer Cases, News Press, CBS, A&E, Naples News, Mirror, and then Crime Online. T.O. Mm-hmm. Seaver. Was that the last name of the family on Growing Pains? The Seavers? But I think it's called S-E-A-V-E-R. This is S-I-E-V-R. E-V-E-R. I guess the important question is, is this about the family? <laughs> there are the growing Seavers? pains, and okay. they're not good. You know what I mean? They're not good. No Kirk Cameron. No Kirk Cameron, who, by the way, isn't he a crazy guy now? Yes. He's, like, really... Off the rails. Off the rails. Guys, don't be famous when you're a kid, and that's why I never did. Never and would do it. That's why... They asked me, and I was like, me, I said, not now. I said, no, thank you. Come back to me later. What I'd like is to get famous maybe around 65, 70. Have that final few, like something new at the end of life. Yeah, like I like how, um, I like Gene Smart's career. I like Catherine Hahn's career, right? Like Catherine Hahn is really fucking great. And she's having like her moment in the sun. And she's like, you know, probably late 30s, maybe early 40s and Mm -hmm. maybe 50. I don't know how old she is. She's timeless. But she's, she's she's getting famous now. And I like that for her. Gene Smart is kind of like coming up, you know. Did you watch um? Did Gene you watch Smart? Hacks? Great career, great career. Haven't watched Hacks yet. She was in Mar- she, that Loved woman was her in Murder Durder. In Murder Durder, she was in Murder Durder. She was in um Hacks, which is Fargo. She, Fargo. She's like she was in um The Watchmen. Like she and my favorite, Designing Women. And designing fucking women. So she's she's been famous for a while. But what I like about her is she kind of like, she's not like A-list paparazzi people. She's like, I'm just going to be good at my job. And people will eventually, will like, you know, all generations will all know my name. And she is. And that's what I want. No pressure. Um, but I'm hoping fame at like 35, 40. Wow. You're, well, you're pushing it. I'm pushing I'm, Awfully close. It used this, to be this thirty. Podcast better take off like yesterday. Now. Okay. Yeah. So share with some friends for me to get. I don't even want to be famous. I just want to be well respected. You know in what my you field. guys could do though is just tell your friends. Listen to the podcast. Yeah, that's just all. you know what a friend, not even your friends. Like maybe that's too much. Each of you tell one friend. That would. You know what? I just did the math, and you know I'm not good at math. That would double no. our listenership. Way easy, easy peasy. Wow. Let's do um, this. So we're doing straight up. <laughs> so what I, when I watched this show, I was watching it while I was working on something else and it got in my brain piece, but she lived in Benita Springs, Florida, which is where my family has a home. Who's she? Um, Dr. Teresa Sievers. Oh, lived. Oh, okay. 
And I know the area very well. I go there often. In fact, when this podcast comes out, I may be in Benita Springs while this story comes out. Don't threaten me. Dr. Tariva Seaver, she's 46 years old. She lives in Benita Springs, Florida. Translation, beautiful Springs, Florida. With her husband, she has two. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're so learned. Benita Springs, beautiful Springs. Um, which I also like that the last episode I did Los Feliz, which is Los Feliz, which because in California they don't pronounce. What is that? The Happies? The Happies. But they don't pronounce no. Spanish correctly. Anyway, neither does Florida. Bonita. It's Bonita. But I guess it's closer than Los... I don't know. Anyway, she's 46. She lives with her husband. She has two kids, ages 8 and 11. She's a holistic doctor. She and her husband run a clinic called the Restorative Health and Healing Center. So she's her kind of whole bag as a doctor. She's combining Eastern Western medicine. We love a Eastern Western combo. We love it. She was born in Connecticut. She was valedictorian in high school. You know, she was learned. She probably knew that Bonita Springs also meant beautiful springs. (laughs) Incredible. Incredible. Incredible deduction on my end. Thank you. It's June 2015. So she's just in Connecticut with her husband and two kids. And they're at like a party or something. They're visiting her and his family. Or I think it's just her family. But they're visiting family. They're up in Connecticut. She's leaving a day early because she has to see patients on Monday. <laughs> Mondays. Am I right? So uh, so she, she heads back home. She walks through RSW Airport, which is Fort Myers Airport, an airport I know very well. We know this because there's security footage of her walking in the airport to go home on June 28th. She's supposed to see patients on June 29th, the next day. That's math. She doesn't show up. So her coworkers are like, this is super weird. She runs it. She's the doctor. She's the big kahuna. Where is she? Where are you at? So they text her husband, and he's like, oh, I haven't heard from her. She said she got home safe last night. A family friend goes over to check, some, to check on the house to see what's going on. They find her with blood everywhere. She had been bludgeoned to death 17 times with a hammer in her home. Hey. The alarm, the security system, had been disabled. There are signs of forced entry where there's, like, some... Um, scraping of the side door where the lock was. Uh-huh. Um, but nothing was robbed. At the home, they found over $40,000 in cash. Oh, fuck. And guns that had not been touched. So it's totally personal. Totally personal. Her husband is immediately brought in for questioning. There's videos of this. He's screaming. He's crying. He's screaming, why, why? He's really red in the face. It's really a big reaction. But is he red in the hands? That's what we want to know. That's what we want to know. But he was in Connecticut at the time. Right. Of her death. So he was not there. Well, we all know about hired help. We do know about Especially in Connecticut. Especially in Connecticut. So there's no leads. At the time of her death, there had been a couple of other deaths of holistic doctors. Whoa. So the internet sort of takes this case, and I think in Florida alone, there were two other deaths of holistic doctors in Florida. 
So the internet is Recent. like, these are connected. Okay. Can people yes. be killing holistic doctors? People were like, what's going on? What is wow. big pharma? No. You know, like right, people right, right. were very much living, living for this. Um, people were very much like making connections, doing the conspiracy thing, letting the internet do its thing. The internet thing. The police are at a dead end. They're like, it's not a robbery. It's not a robbery. Her husband's out of town. What's it's not going a robbery. On? It's not Robbie. It's not That's Robbie. all we know. We know it's not Robbie. We know it's not a robbery. And they're like, what's going on? In the doc- in the killer cases, they were like, and we got a lead. It wasn't a lead. It was a tip. Basically, someone called and was like, you should look at these two weirdo guys in Missouri, Curtis Wainwright Jr. and Jimmy the Hammer Ray Rogers. Yes. Don't love his nickname. Jimmy the Hammer Ray Rogers. Jimmy Ray the Hammer Rogers. On Facebook, he has Hammer as his nickname on Facebook. It's It's not looking good, but it's not looking good considering how she died. So they contact these schmucks and talk about, like, you know, not being great at what you do. She talks to these guys and she's like, hey, like, where were you guys? Like, we never left. We, uh, we stayed. We were home. We, uh, we've been here the whole time. Not us. And turns out the two guys had rented a car and they looked into it and they looked at the car and they were like, oh, there's a GPS in the car. So the two guys were fully tracked the whole time they had the car. And guess where they went? To her house. Beautiful to kill Springs, her. Florida. They went to Benita Springs, Florida, to her house. And then the GPS also shows them going to Walmart in town and going and picking up just a couple of hammers. Well, just like a couple of things. Like, um, for example, what were they picking up? They were picking up, you know wipes, trash bags, black towels, black shoes, and a lock picking kit, you know? And don't worry, they didn't pay for credit card because they didn't want to be tracked. It was a $100 bill that they paid with. And they walk into Walmart, like, la-di-da-di-da. And then, of course, they track there and they see them on on gas station footage. Like, it's it's so funny because... wealth. Of knowledge because the car has a GPS tracking system. So their whole thing is fucking tracked. So my question, though, is like it's not dissimilar to being like I didn't do the murder, but my Amazon wish list for murder tools. You found that? (laughs) (laughs) Not like I love the idea of like a, a dumb criminal being like I ordered all the tools for murder that came directly to my home from Amazon. Why did they kill her? So their GPS has them going to her house where they think they turned off her alarm system. They knew the code. It had them going to Walmart, doing some shopping. Then it had them going to the beach for the day, the two of them, hanging out at the beach. And then they went back to her house to wait for her to come home where they attacked her. Why? I just, I will get to it. Okay, okay. Jimmy Ray, the Hammer Rogers, his girlfriend then sees that the police are looking into it. She contacts the police and she's like, Jimmy Ray, the Rogers, Jimmy, Jimmy Ray, the Hammer Rogers admitted to me that he killed Teresa. You killed this woman. In fact, he um, had me, he destroyed his cell phone and he gave me, we were driving together and he gave me his jumpsuit that he wore for the murder and I threw it out the window. Let me show you where it is. So now they have, like, more evidence tying them to the crime. Curtis, which, weirdly enough, he looks basically identical 
to Mark Seavers, Teresa's husband. Also, Curtis and Mark Seavers, childhood best friends. In fact, Mark Seavers was over in uh, Missouri, you know, for his wedding, you know, and at, for Curtis's wedding. And Mark Seavers was there, and while he was at the wedding, he was like, you know what, I'm having problems with the wife. You know, I, uh... I think she's gonna leave me and she's gonna take her my kids and I have the money to for custody. I can't fight custody. So this is all making sense, right? Like Mark Seavers talked to his friend. His friend got this other like criminal guy that he knew. They came. It's pretty clear what is happening. It's clear what happened, but I'm like, that's a pretty deep friendship that somebody complains to you about the problems in their relationship and you're like do you want me to just do a murder? Well, I think Mark asked him. Mark was like, hey, buddy, you've you been in jail for, like, you went to jail. You have some friends on the inside. Like, you guys are, you know, have, like, a rap sheet. Do you mind? Do you mind? Do you want to take a job? He's, like, an independent contractor. 1099. Did he pay him? And yeah, he paid him. Okay. Mm-hmm. He was in pay part at the beginning, and then when it was over, when he got the $4 million yeah. life insurance payout for Teresa Seavers. Right. Are we surprised there's life insurance involved? Absolutely not. Curtis, they find this out months after her death, right? At her funeral, Curtis shows up. Mark Seaver's best friend. So he goes to her funeral, the man who killed her. He shows up at her funeral. Right. Also, right before the funeral, Mark Seavers is at the beach going, does anybody want to come to my house for a pool party? Lots of weird stuff. Then yeah. it becomes very clear that they're all handling with burner phones. And their code is, like, go other. <laughs> so, like, they get their text <laughs> records and it's, like, go other. Do the other thing. And it's, like, oh, so, yeah, they have a burner phone that they're able to find. And they see all these transactions. Go other. Here's what's crazy. is Mark Seavers also was convinced Teresa was cheating on him. And when he said to the the murder for hire guys curtis and the hammer he was like if there's another guy in there just go for it which means like he didn't even care who he killed you know what i mean like he had no care no regard and she was by herself there was no one else there thank god thank Sounds fucking like god if there had been we'd have had another murder on our hands <laughs> totally so the hammer rogers which looks in my notes like roger than hammerstein but it's not it's hammer hammer he gets found guilty of second-degree murder, and he's sentenced to life in prison. So he's like, I'm I'm going life in prison. I'm guilty. It is what it is. It amazes me that these guys were like, oh, I know. We'll just drive from another state in a rental car. We won't get caught. <laughs> really? It's so, like, it's it's really so stupid. It's so idiotic. Then Curtis, Mark's friend, he pleads guilty to second-degree murder, in February, so shortly after he's found out, it's pretty quick that he pleads um, guilty to second degree, and he only gets 25 years because he agrees to help the prosecution, the prosecutors, get Mark Seavers. Got so it. his testimony is kind of what's the big at play at Mark right, Seavers. Right, right, right. He's case. like, I'll rat on exactly. the main guy you want. Exactly. So some of the defense was that Curtis was in love with Mark Seavers. And he killed Teresa to get her out of the way for his relationship with his best friend. It's so banana cuckoo pants. Is that pants. true or did he think that no. would make them... That's not true. That's not true. Actually, I do want to just... Wait, hold on. Mark Seavers 
Curtis Wainwright. Okay, this is a picture of the two of them. I just need you to see. I want to be very clear. These are two different people. <gasps> <laughs> Which one's Mark? Mark is on the right. Curtis is on the left. They look like twin brothers. They look fucking... Same glasses, same facial hair, same body type, same weird... Well, they're both bald. They're both got the same, like, weird smirk. They're both holding champagne flutes, and they both are holding them with delicate, giant man hands. (laughs) How do you you hold a champagne? that they're wearing similar outfits. Um, Wow. They look like twins. Like... Truly identical. So a lot of the like articles were like man hires doppelganger <laughs> to kill his wife. Like they look the same. Like the absolute fucking same. So the prosecution is like Mark hired these two guys. We have Curtis proving we have Curtis's testimony proving that he was hired by Mark Sievers to kill Mark Sievers' wife Teresa. The defense was like, you know, Curtis was in love with Mark and wanted to get Teresa out of the way. But what's interesting is Curtis is not a great witness. Like, he's a liar. (laughs) He killed someone. Like, what I found interesting about the closing arguments was they were like, listen, we're not adjudicating if this guy's trustworthy, but what we can say is his testimony has evidentiary support. That, like, there's corroboration, like, from technical things that cannot be manipulated, like the GPS and all that stuff. It's Mm -hmm. all connected. Mm -hmm. So Mark Sievers is found guilty on first-degree murder himself. The jury says he should... That's not what the charge would be, would it? That doesn't make sense, because he didn't commit murder. He hired for murder. Yes, but they think they they charged him with first-degree murder. Oh, okay. I didn't know you could do that. Okay. I don't know the rules. The jury... This is crazy. The jury also recommended he get the death penalty. So the judge's determination, the judge gets this suggestion from the jury, right, and takes it into consideration. While he's debating whether to confirm the death sentence for Mark Sievers, Mark's daughter sends a letter to the judge asking him, I lost my mother. I don't, don't take want my any dad. communication with Mark's. I don't want any communication with my dad, but please don't give him the death sentence. Oh, did they, did that sway the court? Nope. Ooh. And people were like, Mark Sievers orphaned his two kids by killing their mother and doing so where he would be sentenced to death. Yeah, really no one's in the wrong except him. Totally. During his statement to the judge before he was confirmed that he was going to be on death row, he still proclaimed his innocence. Which doesn't, it's not a good look, and I'm sure that affected the judge. Yeah, because you're like, if you're not even going to take responsibility, If you're not even going to take responsibility, then I'm not going to be lenient. But it's like, what's wild, though, is, like you said, he did not kill, he killed his wife and that he gave the order, order it was premeditated, he knew what he was doing. I'm not trying to say he's not culpable. But what's I'm crazy just is he was... didn't, it's a not, he's the only person on death row for a non-violent right. crime. Right, the hammer was not in his hand is mm-hmm. all I was saying. He never, he did not personally kill someone. His yeah, orders I did, I mean, he wasn't face-to-face doing the murdering. Mm-hmm. Um, the judge said when he was sentenced to death, he said, I judge people's actions, I don't judge people's souls. 
And if I'm wrong, hopefully God will have mercy on both of us. It's what the judge said, which makes me just like cringe or it's like, oh, so you know what you're doing. Yeah. You know that like there's a like, and you know, this, this doesn't sway me to believe in the death penalty at all. But I, there is a part of me that's like, really? Like, can't this guy rot in jail? Should be in jail thinking about what they did for the rest of their life. For the rest of their life with no parole and to realize that his daughter, and so to realize that he killed their daughter's mother. Mm -hmm. The girls, the two kids, are now with Teresa's mother in her custody. Mark's mom has tried to get some temporary custody granted, Mm -hmm. but that was denied, which is really heartbreaking because... I understand why, right? Like, I understand why they wouldn't want anyone in his family to be with the kids or be near the kids. But there is something that's like, it was him that did this, not his parents, who are their kids' grandparents. Like, that's really a, that makes me feel really sad. And it's a hard, it's a hard conversation. Because, of course, like, I think how can you not be vindictive and, like, as Teresa's mother, be like, there's no one in his family that should ever have contact with these kids that should be near these children they should be far away but then you think of those grandparents and you're like you lost your son your daughter-in-law your, and your ch- kids grandkids, and grandkids all in that moment and you have the added what did i do wrong what did i do wrong how did i raise a monster mm-hmm. yeah well they're not and they're not going to get access to those kids right like if she if, if Teresa's mother can help it certainly wow but yeah, he's on death row for he's the only one on death row for a nonviolent crime. Which is wild. That is. Although it's hard to say nonviolent because it was so violent and vile and No, I get what you mean. But it's I mean, uh it's a it's a weird thing, but I guess, you know, Florida, <laughs> you know, careful about the death penalty in Florida. You know, don't commit a murder in Florida. They're pretty lax. No. And try while we're on the subject, just try not to do a murder. If you can help it. We'd appreciate it. Dear readers, we've said it once. We'll say Say it it before. City City of Ghosts is out. It's out. It released. And now they're going to keep releasing them because that's what podcasts podcasts do. do. Yeah, they just just stop at one to two. (laughs) You know what? (laughs) We've had enough. We're leaving. Um, They are a supernatural, neo-noir mystery podcast set in New York City. We think you're going to love this mystery podcast. I'm sorry. We know you're going to love this mystery podcast. We would bet our life on it. We would bet our life on it? That's super aggressive. It was really aggressive. Here's the thing. We all know you love true crime. How about fictional crime told in a succinct, organized way? Unlike this podcast. It's unlike yet like us. You know what? It's got all our highest highs and none of our lowest lows. (laughs) It's all roses and no thorn. Go listen to City of Ghosts. In fact, here's a little sneak, a peek. I believe they're called the trailer. <laughs> Do you hear me? It's 1999, New York City. Where am I? Oh, shut up! Bridget Lundy Payne stars in a new supernatural neo-noir audio drama. The voices, they're back. City of Ghosts. I understand this is beyond your usual scope. So two deaths and an attempted third. Must mean we're on to something big. Men like them have fortresses built around them. What good does sticking your neck out do, especially in this city? Still, just be careful. 
subscribe now on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Do be well, Eleanor. Dear readers, you guys, I'm so excited to tell you about this new fiction podcast. Forget your socks. This one's going to knock all your clothes off. How I Died is a fiction podcast, and it's about this forensic pathologist who speaks to the dead to solve murders. So it's got ghosts, it's got serial killers, everything we love. And plus, if I had that skill, I'd be bragging about it at every party I went to. But unfortunately for John, this pathologist, he has to hide this gift from his boss and from the town sheriff. So his status is complicated. Anyway, this show has two seasons out right now and over a million downloads. I think that why it's so popular, what people love about it, is that you can try to solve the mystery as the show unravels it. Dear readers, I want you to go listen to this podcast now. You won't regret it. How I Died is the name of the podcast, and it is available wherever you do your listening. Um, Speaking of murder... Mm -hmm. Do you have a murder story? Sure. Uh, Why not? So... You know Jamie. Yeah. Jamie, one of our dearest readers, sent me a suggestion. Which one was it? Um, Is the one you sent me or no? No. Amazing. Jamie sent me a story that... So it's really interesting. Basically, this woman, Jodi Ewing, she was a writer. She had a bunch of unfinished books, and she was writing reviews for the Sioux City newspaper. And her editor was like, you know what you should be writing about is like cold cases and stuff because people be into that. It'll get us a bunch of readers. So we look into some cold cases. Totally. And she was like, yeah, sure. It started as an assignment. She starts reading these cold cases. She gets obsessed and she starts working 16 hours a day to read through these cases. She creates a nonprofit, Iowa Cold Cases, and basically her whole life is learning about these cold cases, writing about them, and specifically calling the public's attention to cold cases. And she gets no money. She gets like $500 a year in donations a year. And she spends all her time on this. It really makes you question what she would have benefited from from a Patreon. Oh, she should get a Patreon. She to- is she still around? Yeah. Oh, totally. She should get a Patreon. Her thing is that, like, people in Iowa hear about her and they want to talk to her about if they are related to or friends with um, someone and it's a cold case. And the she's thing like doing is, so much emotional labor too because yeah. she's like taking care of these victims' families. She's really good ones. at it though. It's something she cares about and they come to her. And the thing is, is people have an easier time talking to her, right? Than they do sometimes the cops or they remember something they didn't remember to tell the cops. So often she's putting information up that the cops see and are like, what? We didn't know that. Um, but I wanted to preface this story by telling you about her because she's where I got this information. And there's a special agent with the Iowa Division of Criminal Investigation that says, and I quote, you've got to be careful what you put out there. There's a difference between what someone said and having probable cause to charge someone with it. So in other words, a lot of what she's writing about and putting online is I talked to this woman and she told me this. 
I talked to this neighbor and they told me this. I looked at the picture and here's what I see in the picture. Um, and the website like... Her website oh. is um, iowacoldcases.org and it's a tricky website to sort of navigate as evidentiary because it insinuates a lot of things aggressively. Like she's like, this person is involved. And because I'm using it as source material, I just want to be clear about what it is. I think she's doing really, really great work, but because she names people that have never been charged or listed as suspects, I feel like the way I want to present this to you is I'm going to talk about names when it comes to the people that have been harmed or have talked to her Mm -hmm. and have agreed to talk to her and are saying this is what happened, but I'm not going to name names um, of the supposed people involved because it if I could not find other source material that was incriminating. Yeah. It's basically not her word, but the people she it's spoke he to, should, it's this their is a word. He said she said source material kind of thing. Right. And so I used uh the Des Moines Register uh was where I got the information on her and the origin stories of this website, but Basically, all my other information is coming straight from iowacoldcases.org. And again, she's looking at these cold cases. She's doing amazing work. Um, If you want to look more into it, that's where I would go. Uh, So Iowa, some background, has all these drainage laws that are not being enforced. And there's a ton of pollution and dumping happening that is gross and it's illegal and It's super problematic. And the Department of Natural Resources there is sort of notorious for turning a blind eye to people illegally creating uh, flood channels. Isn't that what caused the big Iowa flood? Oh, I don't know. There was a flood recently in Iowa, like probably like a year or two ago, where like... I think they're, that they're was like digging like, yeah. like flood passageways they shouldn't be allowed to do. And who I'm going to be talking about is the Lack family who has a farm in Iowa. And they specifically are fighting against this. Um, Mitchell County, Iowa never had a drainage outlet. And the farmers in the wetland wanted to switch from grass and pasture to higher income crops like corn and soybeans. They need to create a drainage outlet to do that. But all of the Lack family's problems come from these other farmers being like, we want to create an outlet for the water so that we can make that happen. But it's illegal what they're doing. Right. But because it would benefit so many people, this is one of those scenarios where they turn a blind eye. There's higher ups everywhere that have tie-ins and financial gain and allow it to happen. But them doing it is killing and torturing the lax animals and it's harming them as well living on the farm because it's fucking their water supply so it's slowly sort of it's poisoning everybody essentially veronica lack and her husband gary end up with all these different kinds of cancers so like they're going through chemo and radiation gary has colon cancer then he gets liver cancer they spent $150,000 to get new wells and plumbing systems. They're getting a reverse osmosis filter system. They're doing everything they can because it's 
fucking them. Like she gets a double mastectomy after breast cancer. She gets 80 lymph nodes removed, a hysterectomy. She's getting weird rashes. You like, know the water that's draining there is like all fertilizer, pesticides, like it's, and it's coming into their water system. That is heartbreaking. It's terrible. So then in 2003, Gary's at the Mayo Clinic getting chemo. They come home from this appointment and they see three men trespassing on their land with a bulldozer and excavator digging through their property line at the fence. And they're like, what the fuck? And the men are like, oh, we were hired to dig a waterway. And so they're fighting against these men being like, no, you weren't. Or like, if you were, it's illegal. Um, And there's all these court proceedings that they're involved in now with their community. And they're pointing fingers at all these different people. Now, meanwhile, as far as the cancer stuff goes, Gary is about to go um, to enter into a clinical drug trial for the cancer that he has. And they're like, well, you should stay at the hospital before you start this trial. And he's like, no, my wife has needs help at home. I'm not going to leave her. I want to be at home before I start the trial. And they're like, okay, well, here's a hospice nurse, not because he's about to die and he's on hospice. But because they're like, she needs to be at home with you if you're not going to be in the hospital because there's all these things we do preceding this trial. So they send him home with this nurse and right away she overdoses him with a drug she called <gasps> Kyaxalate powder and it gives him some kind of paralysis. She comes back two days later and overdoses him again with haloperidol and a DBR gel. These are things she shouldn't have even had, but the nurse had stolen from other patients and from the Osage Hospital Pharmacy. Oh my God. There was no pharmacist on duty after hours. She goes in the prescription shop there and takes these drugs and gives them to Gary. He dies. So it's like she she tries to OD him on something on the 12th. It seems like, and it doesn't kill him. And then she ODs him on something a few days later, and it fucking kills him. Okay? So they come to pick up the body. These two men come. They pick up Gary's body from the farm. They're going to take him to the Osage funeral home. They're driving to the funeral home, these guys. They get a phone call from a Mercy Hospice doctor. And the doctor says... Don't take him to the funeral home. Take him to Mason City for cremation. There's not going to be an autopsy. And they're like, are you sure? And he's like, yeah, take him. Veronica did not sign off on this. They have six children together. None of their children have signed off on this. Oh, my God. But he's he's cremated the same day he dies. No autopsy. He was not even officially pronounced dead yet by a doctor when he was cremated. Veronica was not able to get his wedding ring, and he's cremated with it. Completely fucked up. Wait for this. There's no criminal investigation launched into Gary Lack's death. How do we know the nurse stole that? I read that when they looked into this nurse, she had harmed other patients before 
I don't. And it wasn't I, like he was in a hospice. Again, he was I'm not like naming names pre, because it was pre chemo. <laughs> like he was about to go. Okay, Ugh, so fuck, I hate this. In 2005, after his death, Veronica calls the Iowa DNR. And she's like, I want you to test the surface water that's coming into the family's farm because of the sinkholes. So she says that in 2005, a DNR agent came out to the lac farm, got out sample stuff, and then was like looking around and was like, you don't want to take this test. You're going to get your neighbors in trouble. And she's like, no, 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 no. I do want to take this test. And he's like, no. And he leaves. So she calls the University of Iowa Hygienic Lab and she's like, tell me how to do the test myself. She runs the test. She sends in the... The, uh, the samples. Yeah. And it comes back and says, urgent. Like, this is bad. Like, your land is... Fu- like, the water's fucked. Meanwhile, Adam... Her and Gary's son is like, I'm going to move in with you because she's been getting a lot of harassment. Of course. So he's like, I want to move in with you to protect you. Adam's deal is that he's a great kid. He was a wrestler. He was valedictorian of his class at Buffalo High School. He'd gotten a scholarship to go to Brown. And he is passionate also about sort of like purifying Iowa's water system. Um, He wants to fight against... Well, yeah, his family has gotten sick. His parents have all this, like, medical abnormalities. Yeah, yeah. And so his whole thing is like, uh, I want to fight against upstream point source polluting, and I want to call out the people that are allowing it to happen, the higher-up officials that aren't protecting us, because this has to stop. So I'm staying in Iowa. I'm staying at this farm. Um, And they're being harassed all the time. And specifically, there's an Impala that drives onto their property at night. And there's kind of this pattern where they'll try to figure out who it is, um, because crazy things are happening. Like, his brakes keep getting cut, and they keep vandalizing their vehicles. So they're like, we got to catch who's doing this, because... The cops won't help us unless we can give them a plate number. We can't give them a plate number because the people keep covering the plate. So the Impala comes onto the land, but the plate's covered. Adam will give chase all the time and just not be able to get to them in time or find out who they are because they're a fucking coward and they run. So in 2008, Adam comes home from work that night. It's like 1030 at night and he sees the damn Impala there parked and so he gives chase and a man runs, jumps into the passenger side of the Impala. Someone else is obviously driving it. They speed off and Adam drives after them. Veronica sees all this from the window. She witnesses the people jumping into the car and running and Adam going after them. But again, this happens. All the time. So she's like watching Letterman and she falls asleep on the couch. She's kind of like, well, he'll be back soon. <laughs> like, it's always happens to us what happened to him um he chases the impala who goes to a road with sort of like no shoulder on it and um an s curve adam turns the corner in his car and the impala is just parked so in order to not run into it he swerves and goes off the road and flips his truck okay 
he's okay. But the trucks on top of him, his feet are stuck under the dashboard, basically. So he's like, I guess I just wait for someone to come help me. Someone does call in this accident around midnight. Nobody comes. Hours pass. Nobody comes. Seven hours after this accident. No. In the morning. Firemen and other, like, I don't know, county officials show up on the scene. They're all people that the lax have testified against in court. They're the enemy, right? They put chains around Adam's truck and they start to lift it and drop it back on him over and over. They crush his arm. No. They crush his femur. How is his ankles? His other arm. Now, part of the evidence cited on this website is that there were supposedly 26 time-stamped photos that were taken at the crime scene and you can see from these photos that you can tell he's alive is basically the idea you can see that his arm is flexed and he's pushing on the ground to try to alleviate pressure you can also see that there's um people in the background supposedly laughing. I haven't seen these photos, but this is part of what she cites as evidence that this took place. Beyond this photographic evidence, she says she spoke to an eyewitness where somebody was like, you should come and invited this person to this crime scene and they witnessed it happen and they said Adam was crying out during it. Help me, get me out of here. And that someone there said, we'll get you out of there, all right. And they kept harming him. So hours of this go by and blood is now splattered on the windshield, which wasn't splattered on the windshield previously, which is supposedly something else that Jody Ewing says these pictures show is an absence of blood and then the presence of blood and that the timestamps show that like when they arrived on the scene there wasn't blood and then there was okay mm-hmm. they finally lift the car and crush him again and it breaks his neck and mercifully he dies now the reports from people who were present are all over the place is one thing that you should know they say that he died when the car rolled they also, some of them say, oh, well, he was intoxicated. When we got there, we gave him a breathalyzer and he was alive. The autopsy will show that there were no drugs or alcohol in his system. So no matter what you believe happened with these timestamp photos, it's really, we're not getting a clear story of what happened. They're saying it was a single car crash and that it was fatal. This is... All the information I'm telling you is Veronica Lack's story that she has told Ewing. Mm -hmm. Veronica was still asleep in the morning from when she fell asleep on the couch and a deputy came to her door and told her, Adam is dead. He just kept saying to her over and over again, 
it was just a big mistake. And she's like, what are you talking about? And then she says, are you going to investigate what happened? And he says to her, no. She faints at that point and he leaves her there. She also says that there is a doctor who's in some of the crime scene photos present when this happened. That he's the person that wrote like time of death on the death certificate and that the time of death is wrong. And I think the big question is, why did no one come? And then why, when they did come, is there not evidence of them trying to get him out? It feels like even if this is being blown out of proportion and they weren't raising and dropping this with chains, his truck, no one did get him out. His death also came really shortly after him submitting a request for mandated changes to RUSLE2. He wanted there to be a software program to help evaluate anhydrous ammonia nitrogen fertilizer application. I... I, don't totally understand that but my basic understanding is he was trying to protect Iowa's water supply okay yeah um he was somebody that was actively doing that and that was against a lot of people's wishes (sighs) um there was also a Mitchell County attorney that shows Veronica blown up pictures that were taken during the death like of him getting killed and says to her you know You have five other children. Like threatening is how she took that. Now, something about that attorney I want to tell you is that remember the nurse that stole all those drugs that killed Gary? Mm -hmm. Remember she was able to steal them from a pharmacy located inside the Osage Hospital? Well, this attorney's wife runs that pharmacy. How is this, like, allowed, right? Like, how? 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 So she says, uh, Veronica says, after Adam's funeral, there's a car that keeps driving by her in town, like, pulling out in front of her, harassing her. And at one point, he says to her, I got your boy. So it feels like it's, like, everyone, right? It's like a bad movie where everyone's involved. His case was ruled a motor vehicle accident, There's and they say there's no indication that points to foul play, and they're not investigating it further. So in 2013, Veronica sends a document, she titles it Adam's Voice, to Iowa media outlets, and it names names. It names everybody that she thinks is involved uh, in the water stuff, mostly. It gives exact dates it gives verbal like times she was verbally threatened or intimidated and it also talks about the photographs of adam's death there's also in 2012 um an expose gets published about how the runoff from iowa farms is totally fucking everything up and that they're responsible for a fuck ton of nitrogen and phosphorus um, in the Gulf's dead zone. Basically, Illinois and Iowa are like the two biggest polluters. And I know about the dead zone. Right. It's fascinating. I don't know. Do you talk about, do, are you about to talk? Okay. So the dead zone, if you don't know what it is, it's the, um, I learned about it in a class in college called the human impact on the environment, which is an incredible class. But basically what happens is 
in Iowa and Illinois on the Mississippi River along there, there are all these other rivers that, you know, shoot out from the Mississippi River. What happens in is, is like in these farmlands, they have fertilizer, golf courses, farmlands, all that stuff. The fertilizer, rain comes down or water gets put on this, the crops and the fertilizer, the fertilizer and the water seeps down, down, down into the root system. And then it slowly makes its way back to the rivers. The rivers then flow downstream towards the Mississippi River. The Mississippi River exits the Gulf um, right down. I'm trying to think if it's like Mississippi or something. Is it? Yeah, yeah, Mississippi, yeah. I think it's it exits into the Gulf. And there's a radius of like miles of where there is a huge amount of algae because no other living organisms can live there because all of the fertilizer, all of the pesticides, all of the chemical waste from fertilizers come to the Mississippi, go down to the Gulf of Mexico and creates a dead zone. There's, because the dead zone affects the majority of plants, not algae, there's a huge amount of algae bloom in there and it affects so no living organisms can live in that dead zone, which is why it's called the dead zone. Well, that's thanks in part. Yeah, so that I makes sense. Yeah. Um, so Veronica filed a civil rights lawsuit to try to force the state to protect, uh, basically, people who live in Iowa drinking water. It's crazy. Um, and she's just obviously sure that her family members were killed because of all this, that basically people wanted her property, but they didn't want to pay what it was worth. And... They're trying to intimidate her into getting rid of it um, and into, like, stopping her fight. And it's... It's so insane it, to Again, me. it's, it's so... really unclear to me because whenever I Google... If you Google the death of these two men, Adam and Gary Lack, it's really hard to find any more information on it than this account by Veronica that she's um, provided Jody Ewing with. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Jamie sent it to me and thank you, Jamie. And um, it feels like a really sad, scary story and even sadder if this is something that Veronica had to, is the victim of this happening to her twice to lose a husband and to lose a son and to feel like there was no justice either time Um, and to feel so out of control where clearly no one believes her. I want to know There's nothing kids. about it. I want to know what's going on with their other kids. I mean, I think they're probably scared for their lives. There are being threats made on them. I mean, it's like, if we look at how Flint, Michigan, with their lead poisoning, was only because it was discovered later and you realize the neglect of the community. This is... Ugh. Ugh. And I'm sure also, like, isn't... That also where the pipeline is, where they're trying to also go through protected water systems that way too in that part of the country. It's fucking, it's a, it's really fucked up. There's in the class that I took, there's also this movie called Blue Gold, which really fucked my shit up. Really? But it's, um, yeah, it's like the wars are not going to be fought on oil, like in our lifetime because of global warming and climate change, like our war and chemical and polluting our water system, like. Our, our wars are not going to be oil and gold and spices and all this shit. It's going to be water. Oh, so stressful. <laughs> I'm really sorry to tell you that story, but... Thank um, you for telling that obviously story. Obviously, no one's telling it. 
So yeah, thanks for the work you're doing, Jody. Trying to help people that that's a want crazy, justice for that's their a families. Crazy, sad story. Yeah, and check out Iowa cold cases because um, yeah, we should tell her to join a lot of Patreon. We should tell her to make a Patreon. Yeah, give that woman some money for the work she's doing, please. Um, you guys, here's the deal. Join our Patreon while yeah. we're on the subject. But more than that, tell a friend. Tell an enemy. If if you really want, tell a friend or an enemy to Here's listen to the like podcast. Here's what I like to tell people after my tell solo a friend show. I say, after, after my one-woman show, here's what I say. I say, if you like the podcast, or I'll say it's a podcast. If you like the podcast, tell a friend. If you hated the podcast, tell an enemy. Joke's on them. You know, I mean, just... Tell someone depending on how you feel. Right. Shout out from the rooftops. I see some of you on social media uh, in these, you know, murder rooms. I don't know what they're called. Groups, sure. I think, that are called. Facebook groups, I believe is the no, term. No, but I prefer murder rooms murder for Facebook rooms groups. Slash Facebook groups. <laughs> and I see some of you guys being like, hey, you should listen to Truly Darkly Creeply. Thank I'm you. I'm everywhere. I'm all over the internet. I'm spying on you and I'm falling in love with you Do you know I see how that. much celebration we get whenever that happens? We text Quinn texts me and I get my I'm like Karen somebody likes us my dopamine goes through the roof I pop a bottle of champagne I dance it's it's a real mitzvah do a mitzvah do a mitzvah bye we don't know how to end this podcast we don't know how to end do you guys have any suggestions oh you know what you did you put that color thing in didn't you um I think that's for the is that for Patreon or is that for I don't know we don't know Oh, interesting. I interesting. We have okay. to talk about that because we haven't, you know. Should we have a meeting? We should have a should meeting. Should we have it in a room with air conditioning? Please, God. Let's get out of here. Hey, dear readers, we love you. We'll talk to you soon. We'll see you next week. We'll hear you. It's You'll not hear us. No, goodbye. we won't see. You'll see us. You'll hear us next week. Bye.